0: mentioned last week that we're going to take a, a quick break from Galatians this week and, and talk about uh, Thanksgiving. Cause I, I've been a pastor now for 25 years, a Christian for about 30, and I've never done a Thanksgiving message. Not, not that I've really felt compelled to, but I just saw, you know, the Bible does talk about gratitude and gratefulness and Thanksgiving, and I, I just thought I, I need to do that. So I, I had a ball this week spending some time in one of Jesus's uh, great stories about Jesus, an historical account uh, that has everything to do with gratitude. Now, I, I know that you are uh, already fatigued by the way we do church where you sit, stand, sit, stand. I mean, nowhere else in culture do you have to do that. Do you all understand that? Like, you don't go to a restaurant and the waiter says, hey, stand, you know, and <laughs> your, your boss doesn't say stand, you know, at least mine doesn't. And, and so, it's weird, churches, we are strange people, but um, in, in days of old, uh, when the gospel reading was read, do you know what Christians would do? They would stand. So one more time, would you with me, let's stand, cactus and venue, I would, and 1115 service, please stand, and, and let's, uh, let's all honor God as you follow along with me. We'll put the scripture up here on the screen, Luke 17, verses 11 through 19. Here's what it says. On the way to Jerusalem, he, Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. As they went, they were cleansed. you well. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this amazing historical account that we're going to do a deep dive into right now and learn what gratitude is and, most importantly, how we can foster it more richly in our lives and in our walk with you. So speak to our minds and our hearts right now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. And now you may be seated and you won't have to stand for another two hours. So... some of you visitors are going, I hope he's joking. Yeah, we're, we're joking. So, so let's begin by talking about the, the setting of this historical account in Luke. And, and to get into it, and this will help you in your mind, I want you to imagine having leprosy. It's an awful, awful disease. We know now that it's a chronic bacteria infection. It takes its name from the Latin word lepra, which means scaly, because it's a disease that causes permanent damage to the skin, nerves, eyes, and limbs. As the bacteria gets into you, skin lesions form that are quite severe and debilitating. You didn't know you were coming into a PG service, but this is what Jesus would have seen. Look up here on the screen. These are some pictures of modern-day people who have leprosy. And so you can see on your left there, the, the, the face of this individual, this is a, a similar to what Jesus would have seen in these lepers here, where it literally takes over and deforms your body. And, and though some cite that leprosy can cause body parts to fall off, you might have heard that, it's not technically true. But what does happen, and it's almost even worse, you can see it in the pictures, is that as fingers and toes become severely numb and secondary infections set in, this can result in the diseased digits to become shortened and deformed as the cartilage is literally absorbed into the body. Not a nice thought. The good news is we've pretty much eradicated leprosy in our modern day world through preventative measures as well as treatment. We know how to treat bacteria. It's not completely gone. In some third world countries, leprosy is still alive and well. But the good news is, is that over the past 20 years, we have healed over 15 million people of leprosy because of treating the bacterial infection. But obviously in Jesus's day where they didn't know anything about bacteria, let alone how to treat it, leprosy was somewhat common. And it was transmitted from human to human, most likely through nasal, stuff. Nah, let's not go there, and most likely through things like that. And yet 95% of human beings are naturally immune to this bacteria, but if you were one of the 5% and you caught it from somebody else, here's the point, it literally ruined your life. You became an outcast in society that anybody and everybody would avoid at all costs. And so maybe now you understand, this is why it says at the beginning of this story that when Jesus entered the village and saw 10 lepers, I don't know if you caught it, it says who stood at a distance, who stood at a distance, because the Old Testament law actually commanded that if anybody had leprosy, get this, they had to yell unclean, unclean as they approached any group of people so that they could scatter and get out of their way. Lepers were forbidden to live inside the village. They had to make their home outside the village in what would become known as leper colonies so as not to infect anybody. And as if all of this were not enough, in the Old Testament, lepers were considered spiritually unclean. They were. You can read about it in Leviticus 13 and 14 if you care to. You see, the logic behind it is that the Old Testament is all about God's holiness, his purity being set apart, and leprosy was a disease that resulted from the fall. It was a disease that resulted when sin and and imperfection came into this world. And so in the Old Testament, even though it wasn't the leper's fault that they got it, they were considered unclean by the law's standards. And they could only be made clean if somehow they were healed from this disease and a priest would look them over and declare them clean. Imagine having leprosy in Jesus' day. I mean, between the physical and spiritual stigma of it, it literally ruined your life. But then Jesus comes on the scene. As we all know, Jesus is the divine son of God. He's going through Palestine at this time, healing people of diseases and performing miracles to show people God's power and his goodness. And what Jesus does here in Luke, you guys are in for a surprise today, is one of the most potent and powerful healings that he does in all of the Gospels. And so look again at verses 13 and 14 of Luke 17. I'm not going to read it again, but as we put it up here on the screen and talk about this healing, uh, notice a couple of very interesting things. First, notice with me that the ten lepers didn't necessarily ask to be healed. It says in verse 13 that they cried, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And though some argue that this is an obvious hint toward healing, the word does not mean healing. The word means to bring relief or to bring compassion. It's the same variation of the Greek word for almsgiving, where we would give food or money to the poor. And so it could be that what these ten lepers are saying is, because they don't know Jesus all that well, As we know you you got some power, do something anything to show mercy on us and help us. And what's even further interesting, the second thing to note here, is that Jesus indeed is going to heal them, but he didn't do this through touching them, laying hands on them, asking them any probing questions or interacting with them at all like he did in so many of his other miracles and healings. No, he simply looks at them and in verse 14 says, go and show yourselves to the priests. Very, very interesting. So they never necessarily asked for a healing. Jesus, in the most efficient way seen in the Gospels, just says, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as we already established, the priests could not heal. They were what one commentator calls purity inspectors. And, and, and so they were simply ones who could look over the bodies of these lepers and say, yeah, they're clean, and get them back into mainstream society, but the implication here is that as these lepers were going to the priest, Jesus had already commanded their healing. And sure enough, it says in the text, as they went, they were cleansed, they were healed. Don't miss this, folks. It's one of the most direct, no-messing-around, quick and efficient healings that Jesus ever performs in the gospel accounts. <laughs> it's a fast-food healing if there ever was one in the Bible. And it's at this point that you and I need to take a breath and slow down and walk ourselves a bit more slowly, even park in front of the third movement of this historical count. We've seen the setting, we've seen the healing. And let's take a deep dive into the gratitude. The gratitude. Because it's at this point in the story that the highlight, Jesus' whole point, comes to fruition as Jesus is going to teach us how we get gratitude in our lives. So look what happens in verses 15 to 16. These I am going to read again for you. We need to slow down in front of this. It says, Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, here it is, giving him thanks Now, he was a Samaritan. So it's not hard to see. Follow this, folks. And finding the right path toward gratitude, this lone former leper does three things that you don't want to miss. He focuses on what Jesus has done for him. He feels what Jesus has done for him. And then he follows Jesus based on what he has done for him. So if you take anything else away from our time together here this morning in Cactus Venue 1115, you as well, remember three words, focus, feel, and follow, because this is the pathway, it's the recipe for developing gratitude in our lives with God. So first, notice with me that if we want to have gratitude, we must focus on what God has done for us. It says there in verse 15 that this single, now-cleansed leper saw that he was healed and he turned back. In other words, he focused on what God in Jesus had done for him. As you would think he would do, he recognized the profound and life-altering healing that Jesus had performed. He realized that his physical disease was now no more and that the stigma on a spiritual level was in the past. And so he could get on his life, get on with his life as it used to be, but don't miss the real key. He also realized as he focused that it was because of Jesus that this happened, right? And this is what separates him from the nine. I mean, the other nine, experts point out, certainly went to the priest and they got their needed bill of health and then they got right back into their lives, But one could argue that they were semi-grateful. If you asked them, are you happy that Jesus healed you? They'd say yes. But as one commentator points out, they got right back into business and pleasure. But this guy, this one, focused on what God had done for him. He didn't just focus on the healing, but on the one who provided the healing. And this is the first step. It's the first ingredient to having gratitude. And the obvious point for you and I is that we need to likewise focus on both what God has done for us as well as the fact that it is God who has done it. You know, sometimes when I give you guys illustrations from my own lives, I, I do it in a rather self-effacing way. I do it in such a way to share with you how, like you, I fall very short of what we're talking about here. But let's all charge the hill together and, and, and try to get better. That's kind of the, the way that I, I, I share from my life. But there's sometimes where I'm going to share with you that in a good way, not a bragging way, just in a good way, that I happen to be firing on all eight cylinders in, in the area that we're talking about. And as I thought about my life this week with the fact of, of focusing on what God has done for me for some reason, and I, I, maybe it's just the Holy Spirit living in me, um, I don't have a problem with this. I, I, let me show you through some props what I'm talking about. I, I got to tell you, this is a, a cross from my office. There's not a day that goes by, not a day, that, that somehow God does not bring to mind that he has saved my pathetic soul. And that he has given me a new lease on spiritual life through what Jesus did for me on the cross. I mean, I'm almost haunted by the memory of my salvation 30 years ago. And every day, usually before breakfast, God brings to my mind. That he has saved me. And like Psalm 40, he has taken me out of the muck and the mire and put me on solid ground. And though I don't always do very well on solid ground, that's my fault, not his, ground, uh, his fault. He has put me on solid ground. I, I'm grateful. I focus on my salvation. But you see, I don't stop there. There's not a day that I also don't focus on the fact that God has given me an amazing marriage. He, he really has. And I got to tell you, this woman is very difficult to live with. No, that's not true at all. In fact, the only reason I can say that, Susan's here, the only reason I can say that is because anybody that knows my wife, I'm telling you, she's an I mean, she is the most laid back, naturally joyous, patient, flexible, nurturing, she's a kindergarten teacher, type of of woman that I have ever met. In fact, I didn't date much after I became a Christian for about four years. I met Kim and I said, this is the one, this is the one, because I'm her opposite, I'm a pain. I'm type A. I'm difficult to deal with. I don't listen very well. I'm a preacher. And so every day I thank God for this woman and for even the difficulties we've had because our marriage hasn't always been easy, but God has blessed us and I'm grateful. There's not a day that goes by that I'm not thankful for mentors in my life. Some of you are thinking your mentors hit you over the head. No, this is a baton that was given to me by a guy who, who, who helped me learn how to have quiet times and learn how to walk with God and to do pastoring and shepherding back in the 80s. And then in 2001, I, I, I was the guy that succeeded him as the senior pastor of his church. And, and he handed off this baton to me on, on, on that day. I made a list recently of 10 mentors that I've had in the last 30 years, and the list just flowed so quickly. Just men who have taken their time to invest in me and pour into me. There isn't a day that goes by that I don't focus on the fact that God has blessed me with a free country to live in and that compared to the rest of the world, for whatever reason, he has made me relatively prosperous. I love how one man said it to me this week. This was a great statement. He said, I woke up this morning and I turned on the switch and a light came on. I turned the faucet, and water came out. I opened the cupboard, and there was food in it. He said, I'm a blessed man, and God is to blame. And that's really true for us. The reality is, is that you and I, I mean, my kids, I mean, I got, I got three kids that are entering adulthood, and, and, and one of them did it easy, and the other two are giving me a run for my money, and they're taking my money. And so it, it would be easy for me to look at my kids and like some, you know, bemoan that. But no, I got three kids who, who are honest and they're true and they're doing their best to unhitch their wagon from mom and dad and attach it to Jesus. I mean, I'm a blessed man. And you get the idea. We need to focus, like this leper, daily on our blessings. And though I'm going to talk in a minute of what we do when life gets really hard and it's hard to do that. But what you need to see is that the difference here between the nine and the one is that the nine obviously took their blessing for granted, but the one saw that he was healed and he turned toward Jesus and focused on him. And this was the first step to creating gratitude. So, this Thanksgiving, you and I have a wonderful opportunity as Christ followers to do an audit of our life, recognize the blessings that God has given us, and laser beam focus on these things. It's the first step. But it doesn't stop there. This is just a start, for there is a second thing that this solitary leper reveals to us about the pathway to gratitude. And I gotta tell you, this one's a lot harder but this is what separates, I think, the men from the boys, the women from the gals, and the one from the nine, and that is that we must feel what God has done for us. So check this out. Gratitude is not just fostered by an intellectual focus, but it's also fostered by engaging our emotions with God. You know, it's easy to pass this by, but it says here in verse 15, this is so cool, that after the leopard saw and turned, after he focused on what God had done for him, it then says he began praising God with a loud voice. Do you see that there in verse 15? Cactus venue, eleven fifteen? praising God in a loud voice. And now, folks, it's easy to miss this, but you've got to catch what's going on here. Some of you are tempted to think, well, it's the Bible. Like, everybody praises God in the Bible. I mean, what's the big deal about that? No, in this setting, that would have been very unusual that he would do this. I mean, this wasn't the temple. This wasn't a church service where you'd be expected to praise God in a loud voice. This wasn't a newsboys concert where you'd be expected to praise God with a loud voice. This wasn't even this guy driving down a dirt road in his chariot like you guys do on the 101, maybe praising God in a good moment in a loud voice in in, in your own car. This is none of that. This guy's at Desert Ridge Mall on the outskirts of Phoenix in a very, very public place, the outskirts of this village, and it wasn't appropriate in that culture as it wouldn't be today to stand up in the middle of that setting and start praising God with a loud voice. And so the only thing that we can deduce from this is that something has gotten into this guy's feeling base that he feels so strongly about that he's willing to praise God with a loud voice. This man clearly felt what God had done for him. And what you and I need to see today for us is that it works the same way for us. I mean, we're very tempted in four days from now to spend Thanksgiving holidays focusing on our many blessings. And like many Americans, maybe even allowing us to be grateful to God. But I got to tell you, what truly separates us from the nine around us is when we feel very deeply and with a lot of excitement that we're willing on Thanksgiving Day to yell and praise God about our thanksgiving to Him than the football game that we're watching. Amen. I, I mean, some of you are going to go nuts during the football game. That's okay. I'm a big NFL sports fan. I, I, I will be going nuts. I, I, there will be no talking in the room, only cheering. I mean, that's the way that I, I, I function when I watch football. But I sure hope that when I consider the blessings of God, that I'm willing to take that football game and just make it pale in comparison to what I'd be willing to do to give him praise. Amen? Oh, that was so weak. Let me repeat that. I hope. On Thanksgiving Day, that I give God a lot more praise than I do Detroit. Amen? Yeah. All right, that was very good. <laughs> I know what some of you're thinking at this point. You're you're thinking, "Well, Jamie, yeah, it's one thing for you to get all excited. You pastor a large church. You got three semi-good kids. You got a great wife. You're 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 doing pretty well in your life." But I got to tell you, about financially, I'm not doing very well. I'm still hurting from the recession. My my job is not that great. My marriage is so-so. My kids are a mess. My health is a downward trajectory. I ping-pong back and forth between anxiety and depression. And yeah, my church is okay, but it's all ripped up and I can't find my parking spot. <laughs> and you're tempted to say, I'm not feeling very grateful right now, let alone able to focus on anything. See, I hear people say that, and I get it. I mean, life can be very tricky at points. But, but here's what I would pastorally nudge you with here today if we were just having an intimate cup of coffee, you and I, and you were in that bad place. I can promise you you're not seeing life as God sees it. You're not seeing your life as God sees it. Because, you see, what God says to us, even in the most difficult times, is that we still have reason to praise him. Amen? Amen. We do. Because, and here's his logic, he says, at the very least, you have me. And see, the problem with some of us, we go, well, oh, God, thank you for being in my life, but that's not enough. And, and boy, you better duck when you say that. Because, <laughs> see, God wants us to know that he is enough and that what he gives us is sufficient. As Peter says, we have everything we need for life and godliness. And so God says, it can't get bad enough that you have no reason to praise. I started doing something to my soul a few years ago and trying to train my soul to love the things of God. I heard Christians once in a while use a phrase that, you know, I, I kind of hijacked, and I use that now daily in my daily walk with God. And, and, and the phrase goes like this. Say I have a really bad day, and I do have bad days. I do. Uh, some of you make sure that I have bad days. And I, and I do have bad days, but even aside from all of you, I, I mean, I just, again, I, I have my own issues in life. And so there's some days where I'm really discouraged, really down, And the staff have heard me say this often. Kim has heard me say this often. What I will find myself saying by discipline, but I mean it, is this. If this is as bad as it gets, if this is the worst thing that happens to me, I'm a very blessed man. I I say that all the time. I had somebody challenge me on that about a year ago. He said, yeah, you're going to say that when you get diagnosed with cancer? You know what I said to him? I, I, this, this had to come from God because it came so quick. I said, that's what I'm practicing for. See, see, you say that long enough to yourself. It, you really believe that that, that, that. that no matter what happens to you, Jesus says, that they, they can touch the body, they can't touch the soul. As Paul the Apostle would say, for me to live is Christ, to die is? So what's the logic behind that? The logic is this, isn't this awesome? Paul the Apostle walked around saying, you know what? The worst that it could possibly get is that I'll die and go spend all of eternity in eternal bliss with Jesus. That's as bad as it could get. And so for him, he's like, well, gosh, in that light, to live as Christ, to die is gain. And, and, and hence, I really do live this. I, I, I live every day. If this isn't the worst thing that happens to me this week, I got to tell you, I'm a blessed man. And again, I'm practicing in that for the really bad stuff. An amazing thing happened about a year ago at this time. He got called to somebody's home who did have that happen to him. He was at the tail end of his battle with pancreatic cancer. Hope you all know, pancreatic cancer, that's of the worst sort. I mean, it's one that we've not been able to make huge strides with yet. And so it's a tough, tough cancer to deal with. And this man battled it for a year, and they tried a lot of treatment options, but it was toward the end of that. His wife called us there, some friends, a couple elders, some, some family, just to pray with him. And they, when they wheeled him in, he couldn't walk. He was, he was just so weak that they wheeled him in, and, 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 and they sat him in a chair there, and, and it was even a labor for him to talk, and he was a wonderful godly man, so we just laid hands on him and had a tender, tender time of prayer, as we knew it would be just a few days before he'd go to be with the Lord. What happened next, I'll carry with me for the rest of my life because it's never happened to me. We, we got done praying, and he looked up, and with a stronger voice, he said, and now I would like to pray for each of you. And we bowed once again, and he prayed for us, a selfless prayer. And he prayed for his wife, and he prayed for his daughter, and he prayed for his church. And, and I walked away from that obviously so humbled, and as I thought about that this week, as it was about a year ago now, I thought to myself, a guy like that has to be filled with gratitude. Amen? A guy like that has to feel in his bones praise and gratitude to God to have that kind of selfless response to those around him. And you see, that's how it works. We focus on what God has done for us. We feel what God has done for us. And before you know it, we're starting to, 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 to put the nail in the coffin of ingratitude in our lives. But there's one more nail we got to put in, and it's the nail of following God then in our gratitude. We must follow him based on what he's done for us. So we engage our mind by focusing. We engage our feelings by feeling, and then we engage our will by following. And boy, folks, if you can get to that point, there'll be no stopping you with an attitude of gratitude. Look at verse 16. It says that this leper fell on his face at Jesus' feet. Now, again, some of you, because you read the Bible a lot, attempt to say, well, it's the Bible. People fell on their face all the time at other people's feet, right? No, it's actually interesting. If you read all of Luke's recorded miracles about Jesus, you will rarely, if ever, find this response. This is an unusual, heightened response to a man who is appreciative of what Jesus has done for him. In fact, commentators point out that there's two things going on here, submission and authority. That's what this means in that culture, that when you fell on your face at another person's feet, you were submitting in the most outlandish way to their authority. And again, it's almost hard for us to grasp this because we don't do this. We don't even, and it's sad, I guess, in our culture, we don't even have many physical acts that demonstrate submission to another person's authority, maybe bowing or what have you. But you know who does this? Well, actually, this will make you laugh. Our our, our dogs know what this is about. I I have three dogs at home. My wife and daughter just love dogs. And so uh, we actually had two. And then I bought my wife a Jack Russell Terrier, a little spitfire, for Christmas three years ago. And my birthday is nine days after Christmas. And so I kid you not, she re-gifted him to me for my birthday, (laughs) which I I got it. And so he became my dog. So we have three dogs at home. Kim's dog is is a 60-pound shepherd mix that we got uh, rescued from a reservation at at a shelter uh, named Callie. And she's 60 pounds and she looks mean, but she's the biggest wimp in the world. She has this overactive conscience that just, you know, it's actually hard for a guy like me. And, 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 and whenever she does something bad, you can tell because she's crate trained. And, and, and so the crate door will be open. We're in the house and she'll be in the crate. And I go, yeah, she did something wrong. And invariably what will happen is if it's something that makes me angry, again, my wife's a nice one, I'm not. If it's something that makes me angry, like, you know, she did this week, she didn't want to go outside in the rain, so she decided to do her thing in the kitchen floor. And so I walk in, and I just look, and I go, Callie, Callie. And as soon as I do that, I kid you not, it's amazing, she gets on her back, rolls over, puts her paws up, <laughs> In absolute full submission, and I know some of you you guys are going, "Oh, I look at, I go, you are a wimp. Take it like a man, you know." And and I just like all I I, all I did was say your name in a harsh way. But you know, in the animal kingdom, if the alpha male is upset, or if there's a predator, and you know you don't stand a chance, that's what you do. That that's how you submit. Your best chance is to roll over on your back and, and and submit. See, see, that's really what's going on with this guy, not out of fear, but, but, but this guy wants to do anything he can to show Jesus that he is intent on following him. And so he falls at his feet. And, and you know what's so cool about this? Again, you got to see this. The principle is, is that you and I will naturally show gratitude to that which we follow. Did you know that? You're hardwired that way. You can't help it. And you do it every day. You follow your favorite sports team and they win. You show gratitude. You're grateful for that. You might write them a letter saying, way to go. You, you follow your mar- the market and your investments, and they go up. You call your broker and say, way to go. Thanks a lot. You show gratitude. I, I mean, we do it all the time in our lives. And during the elections, if your candidate gets in, you're grateful to that political party for helping your candidate get in. We are all hardwired to follow something. And when that something blesses us, we are grateful. It's a good thing that God has put in our soul. And so it goes without saying then, now apply this to God, that when we respond to God's blessings by submitting to him and following him in our daily lives, this will by its very nature create gratefulness and thankfulness in our lives. So add all this up. Like the one lone leopard, we focus on what God has done for us. We feel what God has done for us. We follow him based on what he has done for us. And if you can do those three things, look at what verse 16 ends up saying happened and that's it that he said he ended up giving him Jesus thanks so there it is you're now at the end of the road uh, of giving thanks to God and, and again I know how some Christians think you think well big whip so I've developed a little bit of gratitude I'm a thankful person what does that get you Ooh. We don't have time to do it. This maybe is for a whole other series of messages. But when you start to go outside of this story here and look at all the things that the Bible says happens when you and I can have a cemented attitude of gratitude when it comes to God, it blows you away what the KRAs, the key result areas are of you having a rich gratitude in your heart to God. Let me just share with you very quickly three of them because we're about out of time. Here's the first one. Look up here on the screen. The Bible says that if you can have rich gratitude in your life, you will start to develop peace and intimacy with God. Philippians 4 verses 6 and 7 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, here it is, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So there it is. I mean, a lot of Christians don't believe this, but it's true. God says that if you can foster the kind of gratitude in your life in which you are focused and feeling and following, he will bless you with a rich sense of himself and peace when you most need it. Whoa. Second thing, second KRA of gratitude is forgiveness of others forgiveness of others. You know, this has always blown me away. I I don't know what it is. I got to devote my 50s to this. I turn 50 in a a month from now, and I'm not looking forward to it, but I got to devote my 50s to this. And, you know, Christians, as we all know, should be the most forgiving people on planet earth. Give me a head nod that you all understand that. And and the the logic is simple. I mean, Jesus talked about this. The fact that, that the core of our salvation is that Christ died on a cross for our Sins. He died on a cross so that we be forgiven of all of our sins, past, present, and future. That is the good news. And so as a result of that, Jesus said that, that, that when we get in touch with God's forgiveness, we should be the most forgiving people on planet earth. And again, Christians are really good at forgiving somebody who cuts them off on the 101 or the person who has 15 items in the 12-item line at Walmart or something small. But but this is Thanksgiving. We're all going to be with family members we don't like. I mean, let's just be honest about it. And, and, and it's going to be difficult to be with certain family members and people that grate on us and all of this. And you know what God says this is so cool. He says, if you want to be the kind of Christian that forg- can forgive others, get in touch with my forgiveness of you and be incredibly grateful. Because if you can be grateful for your salvation, then guess what? It's going to make it really easy for you to be grateful or, or to forgive those around you. It, it really does work. I, I, I mean, believe it or not, I, I said to you guys, I, I really do have trouble at times being patient with people and there's certain things that people do, whether it's somebody here at the church or, or maybe uh, one of my kids or relatives where I just, they, they do that and it just drives me crazy. I'm like, man, come on, it's been like 20 years. Get over that, stop doing that. And, uh, and, and there's times where I'm, I'm, I'm willing to be very impatient if not unforgiving. And years ago, God started convicting my heart on that. And you know what he convicted me with? And this was so life-giving. He said, Jamie, do you realize that there are things you do every day that I don't like? (laughs) Do you realize that after 10, 15, 20, 30 years of being a Christian, you're still doing some of the same things? And oh, how I wish by the power of my Holy Spirit who lives in you that you could harness his strength and start to get rid of those habits and those personality things that drive me nuts. But you know what? You haven't yet, and that's why my son died. And so I love you. I forgive you. My mercy is new every morning. I won't shame you, but let's move on. That's what God says. That, that's the miracle of his forgiveness. And see, when I'm experiencing that, when I'm, when I'm feeling that, it, it, it's really hard for me to look at one of my kids or someone else and say, I wish you'd get over that. Because gratefulness, gratitude, uh, causes us to be more forgiving of other people. It really does work. And then notice the third KRA of gratitude, and that's generosity. You know, it's interesting when Jesus was at one point telling a bunch of stories about faithfulness and being true with the blessings that God has given us, he wrapped up this storytelling time by, by inserting something that many Christians don't like. But I, I think I want to help you make friends with this today. Look at Luke twelve forty eight. It says, everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required, and from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. And again, Christians don't like that because they go, God is just so hard and you know, he blessed me so much and now he demands that I give a lot. No, that's not what this is. You've got to see it in a different light. See, this is actually life-giving. What God is saying is that as he blesses us and we are grateful to him for that blessing, he gives us the wonderful life-giving privilege and responsibility to now bless others. Do you see the different light there? I mean, this isn't a pressure verse. This is a liberating verse, where if you can honestly say, as we've been trying to talk about all here this morning, that God has blessed me, he's been so good to me, and I'm I'm so grateful, I feel it in my bones for what he's done for me, then God says one of the byproducts of that is that you're going to hold loosely all these material things in your life, and even your money, and you're going to be generous with those around you. It's a byproduct of gratitude. And again, I don't even, I mean, I don't get down on Scottsdale Bible about this. You guys in the last six years have blown me away with your generosity. You really have. I mean, two weeks ago, we took a second offering, addition to our regular offering. We then passed a plate again at the end of the service. Some of you remember this, for relief for those who lost their homes in the typhoon in the Philippines. And these are people you're never going to meet. You don't know. You're probably never going to meet them and our church gave $65,000 in one offering at the end of that service. Yeah, you can clap for that for, for, for those in the Philippines. And you know, that happens all the time here. I mean, we did this for neighborhood ministries, and I think you guys gave 80000 and then the Luis Palau thing. Haiti was our record when Haiti happened, $141,000 in a second offering and so, I, again, I, well, I come from Cleveland. <laughs> They're not doing that in Cleveland. And, and, and I'm telling you, <laughs> I, I, and I love my home, but people weren't like that. They weren't outlandishly generous. You guys are. But here's what's going to happen after Thanksgiving. And for those of you who are veteran Christians, you see it coming. After Thanksgiving, when you go to the mailbox, what are you going to find? It's year-end giving time. Did you know that? So all the Christian parachurches and the Christian ministries, and even your church, you're going to get a letter from me, It is is going to remind you that it's year-end giving time, and what are we asking of you? Be generous. So I'm hoping that as you focus, (laughs) as you feel, as you follow, that God will well up in you such gratitude that this year as you pray to him, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? You're going to clearly go, Lord, I want to be generous. Because I want to be a kingdom player, and I want to invest in kingdom stuff. Here's the challenge for us as we wrap this thing up. Are you going to be one of the nine, or are you going to be one of the one? That, that's the question. Are, are you the one, or are you the nine? You know, it's amazing. This is, again, for another sermon. Uh, Jesus drops a bomb at the end of this uh, account here, where he says, Now he was a Samaritan. And then later on, he calls him a foreigner. You know, it's interesting about that. And again, it's for another sermon. But Samaritans were not thought of highly by Jews in that culture. They were considered half-breeds. They were ones who were part of the Assyrian captivity 700 years earlier. And they intermarried with the Assyrians, with this pagan nation. And then when all the dust settled, they wanted to set up their own temple in Samaria and call themselves Jewish. And most Jews back then would look at them and say, yeah, you're a mixed breed at best. I mean, you're not Jewish. Who are you kidding and they looked down on them. It was pure racism, ethnic racism going on back then. And so when Jesus says, now he was a Samaritan, that was just a bomb dropping right there. And by the way, most Bible would point out that Jesus is insinuating the other nine were Jewish. <laughs> so that adds even more insult to this. But that's the point, is that Jesus is saying if the Samaritan returned, and through focusing and feeling and following, was able to develop a heart of gratitude, then why can't you be that one? Why can't you be like that? So here's what's going to happen on Thursday. Uh, We're all going to do the American thing, and it's not a bad thing. We're going to take the day off. We're going to watch football. We're going to eat too much, and we're going to feel pretty good about our lives. That's what Thanksgiving is for most people. I hope for you, as our church focuses on Thanksgiving this year, that with a deep and abiding focus for what God has done for you, through reaching deep in your feeling base and feeling what God has done for you and then making a decision to follow him based on what he has done for you, that you can foster the kind of gratitude in which peace starts to flow like a river, forgiveness really truly becomes letting go, and generosity becomes more than just a nice thought but a deep reality. This is how God wants you to have Thanksgiving this year. It's how he wants me to have it, and I'm with you. Let's go for it. Why don't you bow with me and let's pray. Father, I thank you for the life of Jesus Christ who is not simply our Savior and our Lord, though he is all of that and that's core, but he's also our teacher. He's our mentor. He's the God that guides us into a right understanding of you. And so, Lord, as we've taken a brief but hopefully deeper look today at this idea of what gratitude is and the pathway toward it, I pray there would not be one of us here today who, who would escape this call that you give us. Uh, to be men and women who, who, are, who are men and women who know how to focus and feel and follow. And then, Lord, bear that fruit in our lives, the fruit that comes from gratitude. Thank you, Lord, for all that you are to us. Thank you for this season that we can celebrate and focus on Thanksgiving. We will do that, and it will all be about you. And we pray these things in Jesus' holy and precious name, and we all say together, amen. amen. God bless you. Happy, happy Thanksgiving.